Okay, I want to ask you guys a question. I want to ask you guys a question. And if you can, to the best of your ability, please answer it. There are, there are milestone moments, or keystone moments that we all go through in life. Meaning, there, we can look back at a, at a certain particular time where, where we can say, man, this is the moment that changed my life, right? Everyone understand what I'm saying? So, like, let me give you one example, and you can't use this example, but for me, it was when my father passed away. So I can look at everything in life before my father, you know, when he was alive, and then after he was alive. There's a, there was a shift that happened in my life, okay? So where is the shift that, that, was, in, that's in, that was in your life? You can point to this moment, you can say, yeah, you know what, this is the moment that really changed the direction of my life. Um, the floor is ours, or the floor is yours. What do you think? Or what can you say? There's no right or wrong answer. It's, it's, your, it's really your own experience. So... Anybody? I mean, seriously. This is a before thing. Yeah. So no. Yeah, you can say that. But but yeah, you can say that. But let's just go because that's the ultimate, of course. Yeah. But um, what else in your life? I mean, what else in your life can you say? Like again, this moment in my life right here changed the direction of my life. Probably the last time. I mean, Oh, like, good. Before mm-hmm. I, like, even went in, I was, like, on a spiral, mm-hmm. you know, and then even when I got out, I wasn't even saved when I got out, but I, I just knew that some things needed to change or else I would, you know, either end back to every time or, you yeah. know, maybe dead, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Anyone else? Please. I think when I joined the official member. Official member of the church. Yeah. Why, 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 why so? Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a serious step, and a lot of people I think do membership at a premature age, because when they become members, man, they just fall off the map. I'm speaking about one person in particular, um, but if you're listening, yeah, yeah it's you. But uh, <laughs> if you feel convicted or something, uh, hey, Gino, I know you're how old are you, brother? Fifteen. I know you're fifteen. Anything in your life, man? Um, not too long ago. I think it was no, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before the last one. And Tony was saying something about uh, you know, Jesus. You know how like clothes and stuff like they start giving yeah. away to like other people. Yeah, yeah, on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, that's right. On Sunday, yeah. yeah. And um, he was saying like that's that's like basically the same thing. Like you're carrying around this gospel, but you're you're just wearing it like like you have it on you, but just not like. You, you get what I mean? He was saying like people walking around with it like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you said that example, I said that's true. I mean, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but even yeah, and then and and to to <clears throat> to go a little deeper to to see how how they viewed Christ um, as if he was nothing. It was sort of a mockery, uh, playing playing uh, playing dice for the clothes and 
and um, I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna uh, preach on that in, in a couple of weeks. Um, but Arturo, anything? Yeah, uh, I mean the biggest one obviously is when I got saved. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was like the biggest, most drastic uh, change in my life. Yeah. But um, apart from that, um, it's gonna be kind of odd, you know, odd talking about this, but um, like, like about five years ago, I was engaged, mm-hmm. and, um, and that relationship broke off. Yeah. I think that's when I kind of like decided to be a man. Yeah. Instead of being a boy. And, yeah. You know, something for good reason. It wasn't, you know, like. A, uh, this kid's still a boy at the age of like 21 years old, you know, and yeah. had to grow up, you know, and um, so I think that that made me get counseling uh, in the whole church and, you know, just hang out with other men instead of other guys my age. Yeah. So th- that, that was like a positive change. Out of that, so. Good. Good. Many people will look at that as like the most heart-breaking moment, in the, which it might, could, yeah, it is, but also, too, uh, God works all things for good, yeah. and that's awesome. Um, I was expecting you guys to say marriage. <laughs> That's a... Oh, yeah, marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually expecting you guys to go deeper and say kids. I know uh, I don't have a kid, um, but uh, I know that, that that is a big, big, big point of their lives when they can look back and pre-kids and they can say, man, remember the stuff we used to do? All oh, the late night things. We used to go. And then post-kids, post it's like... <laughs> Man, we're in bed by eight now. We're in bed by nine. Um, even even uh, even marriage. Um, I find that strange how people look at marriage like, like man, we got married. Like now we don't we don't do anything we used to do. Like we don't go on dates no more. And ah, it's just it's just weird to weird to me. Well, I think marriage is just a constant like always changing, you know, like, mm-hmm. even with kids, it's like, a, it, it, there was never a big moment like that, I don't know about you, but, for me, there was never, like, a huge moment in our marriage yet that, like, changed everything, yeah. but things still catch us by surprise, you know, in July. Yeah, well, I'm sure, sh- well, I'm sure your, is your relationship the same with Liz? Uh, it, you post? know, it's a lot deeper now, good. way deeper, it's a yeah, good thing, though, good. it's a good thing, it's, it's good. actually, we are talking about this the other day, actually, and, um, it's, we're talking about our dating phase, or, now, although we have more problems now, it's like we love each other more, you know. And and even with Eli, having another person in our in our lives and always being broke, and uh, even with me not having a job, like just like it's just all worth it though, you know. Seeing him laugh and smile and stuff, it, it brings happiness that wasn't there before. Yeah, yeah, man. You can't put a price on uh, on genuine love, you know. I always I always tell people that too when they're struggling with their. Well, I don't tell people this, so I'm not a marriage counselor, but I would like to tell people. Uh, who are struggling with their marriage? Like you know, guys, there's people that go on eHarmony to find what you what you have. And there's people that go on these dating, these weird Christian mingle and uh, and uh, what's that one that you, if you're if you're a rancher or a farmer, there's one if you're. What is that one called? Farmers Week. Farm something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Farmersonly.com. That's what it is. I know. Yeah, there's. We so we all we all have a we all have a time in our lives when um that uh, that changes the ship, so to speak, you know. And uh, those are good things. Those are those are great things. Um, and what I think what all of the, what it teaches all of us, uh, for one, you you're seeing a more grand view of Christ. Um, for you guys, they matured you. 
screw you up. Um, as well as myself, man, my father passing really, really, really matured me. Uh, as and she's probably saying, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also too for for Leela, it, it matured her as well. I think the ultimate though, if we can point to one one point of our lives, the the ultimate point is obviously when God chose to step in, you know, and and He blew the wind as you will over our bones and 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 made us alive in Christ and united united us to his son and and gave us his spirit. Um and that's what basically we're going to talk about tonight. Um and 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 also too now what do we do after that? Now we are saved. Now what do we do? And this is going to be very basic. You guys have heard all of this before, but I think it's a good reminder and and hopefully some discussion will will uh come about this. If you can turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we're only going to be doing two, uh, three verses. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. Um, do you need a Bible? You can use this right here. Yeah, he's got one, and I got one, and then another one. Do you want me to get that one for him? No, no, don't embarrass yourself. This probably has dust in him. Here. You can let him use that? Yeah, just give it back to him. Because <laughs> that's the one I want. I would. If I'm King James, I don't want to read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go go to Colossians. It's in the New Testament, um, but yeah. And uh, I went to Lifeway the other day with my brother. Man, Bibles are so expensive now. So expensive. Barnes and Noble too. They're pretty hard too. Are they? The cheapest you can find is that you just go straight to like Crossway or. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, my I have noticed that my um. I uh, my eyes are deceiving me. So. I I need to I might need to get some glasses. Yeah. Yeah, because I can't see far away really. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's real blurry. So I'm gonna go get my eyes checked, and I already know they're gonna I already know they're gonna diagnose me with something. So. <laughs> yeah. So um, but it's okay. Hopefully that'll make me look smarter, and <laughs> and people will start taking me more serious. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it says verse 21 to verse 23 in Colossians 1 says and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds verse 22 he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him verse 23 if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Great verses right there. Uh, short, sweet, but to the point. And I want to just, I want to, I want to, to give us four points, four headings to help us go along. And number one is alienation. Number two is reconciliation. Number three is presentation or presentation. And number four is exhortation. So, alienation, reconciliation, presentation, and exhortation. Um, let's look at the first point, and that is alienation. And, and we see that in verse 21. Look at verse 21 one more time. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So, let me ask, us a, or let me ask you a question. Have you always been a Christian? Raise your hand if you've always been a Christian. 
Right. None of us, right? And and what's the common answer when asked how long you've been a Christian? What have you ever asked anybody that? What's the common answer that you, that you hear? Just what do you if you have if you haven't? How many years? Yeah, 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 yeah. So or or let me ask. Let me say it this way: When you ask somebody, "Hey, how long have you been a Christian?" What's the common answer you get? So when you're asking somebody, "How long have you been a Christian?" What is the response that they give to you? It can be the years that they've been a Christian. Um, anyone else? I know um, people who grew up in church say all, all their, all their yeah. lives. So. Yeah, that's and and what's the problem with saying that? Is there a problem with saying I've been a Christian my whole life? Not true. Yeah, it's just simply not. It's simply not true. It's like, uh, and 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 I actually met one person who did that to me. He said that, and uh, he said, "Well, John the Baptist." He said it can't happen. And I was like. Um, I think John the Baptist is uh, in his own category. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can use John the Baptist. Uh, and then we got into it. But, um, uh, yeah, some say I've been a Christian my whole life. Uh, or I've been a Christian since I was born. And I'm like, whoa, you know, really happy. That's, you know, that is, that is amazing. Um, I think what people do, though, uh, is they tend to to equate Christianity with, that means, I believe in God. I, I hope that's what they, I think that's what they do. When they say, I've been a Christian my whole life, I hope that what they mean is, I, I have, I believed in God my entire life. I believe that there is a God my, my entire life. Not that I have placed my faith in Christ and Him alone, and I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. But um, I think that's what they mean. Um, just like what people think church is, is large, huge con- or, uh, crowds and loud music and, and crazy, fiery preaching and, um, and all that. I'm, and I'm not, saying, I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad, um, but we're going to have to flush out some of the details on that. Um, but nobody was born a Christian, of course. Nobody was born a Christian. Nobody was born with faith. And Jesus Christ. We were born, as Paul says in verse 21, alienated from God. So alienated from God. Now that doesn't mean that we were we were we are aliens, that we were born aliens. Um, however, it does mean that for, for Arturo, Patrick, and Gino, you guys are aliens. But but we are not we were not born aliens. We are alienated from God, meaning we are separated from God. We are born separated from from God, uh, just as both the Westminster Confession and the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith say that there's a great separation and distance between us and God, a great separate, it's a great chasm between us and Holy God. Uh, Ephesians two calls us children of wrath, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So, we are separated from God because of why are we separated from God? This is basic sin. Sin has separated us from God. The sin that we inherited by who? Adam. Adam. As you remember, back in the garden, he and his wife Eve were tempted by the serpent. Um, the serpent promised that, that human creatures can be like their creator, God. That the, that the creature can be like the creator. And, and friends, on, on a side note, not much has changed in the broad landscape of Christianity not much has changed. And I think, actually, we've, 
Christianity itself, they've, people have been trying to preach the same message that the serpent tempted Eve in the garden. That you can, in a sense, be like God or that God is like us. And, and they use language. The language that people use um, when they talk about God makes God out simply to be a greater version of ourselves. I'm reading a book right now called The Domestication of Transcendence, How Our Modern Thinking of God Went Wrong. And, and it's been um, a slow decline in what we call theology proper or the doctrine of God, where now God is simply being um, characterized as, as a greater version of ourselves. And, and, um, and I remember one person telling me, uh, I didn't tell you this, but I met I met a guy when we were at the me and her went to eat at the marketplace and there was an open air preacher at the at the marketplace and we were talking and long story short I told him that's great that you're coming out here man that's really great and he said you know this is what Christianity is missing he told me Christianity is missing um, the people who will go out and evangelize and the people who will hit the streets and hit the marketplace and all that and I thought about that and. I said to myself, you know, I don't think that's what Christianity is lacking. Because I think for the most part, we do a lot of evangelism. I think what Christianity is lacking is a wrong view of God. And also a wrong view of ourselves. And I was telling my brother that that man right there is dangerous. Because he has a wrong theology. Especially when it comes to God and who we are. So, I think... I think um, what happened in the garden is, is, is taking place still um, in Christianity today. So, so Adam display, uh, disobeys God. He eats from the forbidden tree in the garden. And he plunges him and the rest of humanity into spiritual darkness. As Paul says in Romans 5, sin entered through one man. And as a result, we are separated and we are at war with holy God. We are at war with holy God. Uh, but despite Paul revealing to us who we are post-fall, and despite all the biblical texts that speak of our depravity, popular theology wants us to, to think otherwise. Popular theology wants us to think otherwise. Pastors now want to whitewash the reality and, and cover over the real problem that we have, ultimately, that we have fallen in Adam. And what Christians are being told now is, is human beings are not that bad. That, that, yeah, we mess up, but deep down we're good people and God ultimately will understand at the end. And he will forgive us. I mean, because ultimately, and going back to the doctrine of God, God is a God of love, right? Paul nor the writers of the Bible know of such concept that, that we naturally deep down are good people and God knows that. Because Paul says here in verse 21 that we are hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Meaning, your deeds, pre-Christ, before Christ saved you, the deeds that you think that were good, were ultimately evil on the side of a holy God, whom you rebel against and whom you have yet to ask forgiveness. Or, ask, or say, I'm sorry, apart from Christ, all of our deeds, as Isaiah says, are as filthy rags. Paul here Paul says here that, that we are actively opposed to God. That we want nothing to do with Him. And, and what Paul is doing is characterizing our previous life. 
He's giving us a clear picture of our previous life. The life that we had before Christ saved us. Now, many of us, we went around the room and we talked about our previous life. And, and me, I can talk about my previous life and how my life was. I used to play basketball. I loved basketball. Um, I used to like to hang out with my friends. I still like to do those things. But, but all of those things um, were my life. You know, and, I, and when basketball was taken away from me, then I had to find something to substitute that. And that's when working out came into the picture. So I was constantly looking for something to, to, to stimulate my happiness. I know many times uh, when some of us recollect about our previous life, and I, and I know you guys do this because I do this sometimes. <clears throat> the things that you used to do with your friends and the things that you used to have and maybe the music that you used to listen to and, and the crazy trouble you used to get into. And we speak about those things in a glorified sense. I know I see many Christians do this. They, they say, man, you remember when we used to... And then they have a smile on their face when they're talking about it. Or when they say, man, I, 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 and I'm so guilty that I miss talking to that one friend. Why? Because we used to do some pretty crazy sinful things together. And the life that we used to live was, was nothing but, but evil and, and wickedness. And when we speak about our previous life, we shouldn't smile about it. When we talk about it, nor should we even miss the things that we used to do. We shouldn't go back and say, man, can I, I wish I could just have one day of, of that life I used to live. Just, just, just one day and I can just feel those things I used to feel and do the things I used to do. Friends, you have to look at that previous life as bondage. You were a slave. You were a slave to sin. And when we look back at our old life, it should cause us to do one thing more than others. And that is to praise God who led us out of slavery and captivity because left to our original state, we are hopeless. Another thing we should do is that should cause us to have a desire to evangelize our neighbors, strangers, and friends because we know a lot of people, especially friends, who are caught up in that lifestyle. And hopefully by God's grace, God can use you um, to bring light to that person's life. So Paul is bringing us low. Um, and he is, in a sense, placing... Have you ever, anyone been to a jewelry store? You ever been to a jewelry store? Yeah, so what is Paul is doing here is he's placing that, vel that black velvet backdrop across the glass. You know when you look... He's like, oh, let me get that ring. What do people usually do? They... Really, do you know? They... They... they they place that black, that black velvet backdrop across the glass so you can see that diamond more clearly. So that's what Paul is doing. He's placing the, the black velvet backdrop across the, across the glass in order that that diamond, and who's the diamond? Jesus Christ can shine even more brighter. So the second point, let's look at the second point, is that is reconciliation, reconciliation. In verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reports before him. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reports before him. I don't I think I've I think I got that wrong. It does what does yours say, Arturo? Verse twenty two? Or anything? 
He has now reconciled in his body and oh, flesh by his death. I thought I was missing a U, but okay. Um, so Paul in verse 21 gives us a picture of our life before Christ, right? And now he gives us the reality of our life now that we are in Christ, now that we are saved. And the main theme of this verse is reconciliation. Reconciliation. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has, by his life, death, and resurrection, has reconciled us back to holy God. Jesus, as John Calvin would say, started to win our redemption at conception. So many people think that when Christ was going to the cross, that's when he started to win our redemption. No, the moment Christ came out the womb, that's when he started to win his elect's redemption. And at the very apex of Christ's life, on the cross, God, or Christ, as you will, took, took holy God, and he took sinful man, and he reconciled them back together. Jesus on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God. You guys have been hearing this lately. He drank from the cup of wrath. He satisfied the wrath of God. He, as you will, filled our empty bank account. He, on the cross, carried the weight of our sin and imputed to us his perfect righteousness. We know that as the great exchange that happened on the cross. That the worst about us laid upon him and the best about him laid upon us. And as Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 61, 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exude in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. We gave Christ our filthy rags. And what does he do in return? He gives us his righteous robe. Christ then is raised from the dead. And when we speak about Christ's redemptive work, don't stop at the cross. It doesn't end at the cross, guys. It's all the way to his ascension. But Christ then is raised from the dead, showing that, showing that the Father had accepted his sacrifice. And, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, putting all enemies under his feet and, and making intercession for his elect, those who have placed their faith in him and him alone. Friends, we were enemies of God. We didn't deserve any of that. And, and, and more so, we didn't want God. We, we, we wanted to come to God on our own terms. I remember saying as a kid, I'm going to wait till I'm like 35 or like 45 or 55 to be a Christian. And I love when people tell me that because I simply tell them, brother, sister, friend, it's not that easy. As the Bible says, leopards can't change their spots. You can't do that over time. You can't wake up and say, man, I want to be a Christian. Now I want to start following God. It doesn't happen that way. The wind blows where it wills. We didn't deserve any of that. But like Al Mohler says, the hero, Jesus, came to die for the villain, us. You couldn't, you couldn't write a better story than that. Because of Christ's perfect life, his active and passive obedience, those who place their faith in him have been reconciled to God. And the most important thing, they have peace with God. I tell people when I go out to evangelize at the marketplace or whenever I'm speaking to people, do you fear God at that day when you are, are you, when you are before him face to face? Is there any fear that you have? And they're going to say, yeah, I, I, I greatly fear that day. And honestly, a lot of Christians fear that day, but they shouldn't. 
Because if you've placed your faith in Christ and Him alone, His perfect work and His perfect sacrifice, Him alone, you shouldn't fear that day at all because you have peace with God. God is no longer your judge. He is now your Father. And when we speak about our life now, I know many of us want to talk about depravity, but friends, that doesn't apply to us. Depravity does not apply to those who have placed their faith in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. But why did Jesus save us? What was the purpose of his, redemption, of his, of his redemptive work? What was the purpose of, of salvation? And the first, fourth point, presentation. Look at the last part of verse 22. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Friends, that is the reason why Christ saved you. That is the, that is the whole purpose of salvation. Christ saved you in order for you to be conformed into his, into his image. We are working toward the goal of being presented pure and blameless. Have you ever been to a wedding? At a wedding, what does the bride usually wear? What color? White, right? White. Actually, Lila wants to wear red. She wants to wear red in a way. I'm like, what the heck? Red? <laughs> but a bride is usually dressed in all white. Okay? What does that symbolize, though? It symbolizes purity. But also, it symbolizes blamelessness. She's being presented to her soon-to-be husband as one who is pure and blameless. So if we're, if we're going to connect that to this verse here, Jesus Christ is transforming his bride, us, the church, his elect, so that she will be presented in the very same way, holy, pure, and blameless. What we have in marriage is a reflection of the type of what Christ is doing with his bride. Earthly marriages teach us about the reality of the, of the heavenly reality of the relationship between the bride and Christ. So earthly marriages teach us the heavenly reality of the relationship between his bride, Christ, and himself. Ephesians 2.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, so important. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. I love this verse because many people look at this verse, yeah, it's a great marriage verse. It's a great verse that speaks about how husbands are supposed to love the, the supposed to love their wives and their example of that is Christ loving the church, but also it's a it's a it's a, a verse about our sanctification. I would even say it's more so our sanctification. Because it says here so that we might Present, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so she might be holy and without blemish. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying simply this. Jesus is at work to present his bride pure. Jesus is at work to present his bride pure. Christ redeems us to make us more like him. The reason why God shows you before the foundation of the world the reason why he predestined you, he foreloved you, is for you to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, that doesn't mean that we just sit around and do nothing. 
We don't just wait for the Holy Spirit to transform us while we just sit around and, and be passive agents. Which leads to the final point, exhortation, exhortation. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. When Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, he's not saying that salvation is up to you. It's not as if God saves you and then he leaves everything up to you. It doesn't work that way. Many people think it works that way, but it doesn't work that way. And many would interpret this passage that way. Rather, what Paul is doing is he's teaching us that we must place all of our hope and faith upon Christ and him alone. Paul says, if indeed you continue in your faith. What is faith? Faith is receiving and resting upon Christ alone for our salvation. And if you don't have faith, then if you don't have faith in Christ and Him alone, then you will fall away. If you turn from the hope that you have in Christ and, and, tr and place all of your trust in yourselves, if you, if you place all of the rest of salvation upon yourselves, then Christ will be no benefit to you. The Christian life is a faithful life, but it's also a life of action and effort. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but that faith in our lives doesn't stay alone. And I'm not saying that that, that faith that doesn't stay alone is the, is the faith that keeps us, uh, that adds to our salvation. No, only Christ and Him alone. But what I'm saying is that faith right there is, yes, an evidence, but I think more so that, that faith that, that works is a faith or is an example of one who is desiring to be more like Christ. Desiring to be more like Christ. We always speak of faith plus works, meaning, oh, that, that is an evidence of your salvation. That's true, but I think more so, those works are what sanctify you and make you holy and blameless and make you pure. We aren't saved to be sidelined Christians, as you know, but Christ bids us to strive to be more like Him every day. And I think sometimes, I, I think Christians... Christians characterize their Christianity or the, the change in their Christianity as simply, now I affirm Christ. As before, I didn't affirm Christ. I hated Christ. And that's the extent of their change. It is, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I have faith in Him. But that's all that they do. There is no transformation in their lives. And friend, that's not how how the Christian life is to be lived. Change is supposed to happen in our entire life. The only thing that changes in their lives is the affirmation of Christ, but rather what, changed, what should change in their life is them desiring to be more like Christ. Now, I'm not knocking that change. From you going to hating Christ to affirming Christ, that's a powerful change. That's wonderful. But I think what the Bible says is you don't stay at that stage of affirmation. There's more that needs to be done. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new creation means that all of our faculties have been changed. So, I have a question for you guys. 
And I have to ask myself this daily. Have you been changed? Truly been changed? And I'm not saying in a sense of, I don't listen to the same music, I don't watch the same movies, I don't do the things I used to do. But I'm, I'm meaning in a sense of, have you, has your life been changed? And now do you want to glorify God in all that you do? Do you want to read your Bible? Do you want to pray? Do you desire to worship God? Do you desire to evangelize? I know a lot of us, I know a lot of people, when they talk about change in their life, they talk about, well, you need to go out and you need to hit the streets and evangelize. That's great. But I think more so the change that happens in someone's life is them desiring to be more like Christ, like I've been saying this whole time. Are you allowing Christ, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, produce change and transformation in your lives? Friends, friends, we don't just sit on the sidelines and we don't just, just uh, let go and let God. That's heresy. We don't do that at all. But what we do is we press toward the goal of holiness and purity. But the glorious truth, the glorious truth of all of this is you don't do this alone. This, this work of sanctification, progressive sanctification, to be more technical, this work is not done alone. But God comes alongside of you, mainly by the Holy Spirit, it's not 50% you and 50% God. It's not, it's not 100% you, uh, 0% God. It's 100% you, 100% God. As Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Should you work out your salvation? Yes. But is it by your own strength? No. Because it's God working in you and through you. It's God who's working in you and through you. And, and, and that reality, guys, the reality that I'm not doing this alone, that, that God is the author and finisher of my faith, that yes, he saves me, but he doesn't just leave me to myself, is great encouragement in this present age. Because God doesn't save us, like I said, to leave us alone, but, but he comes alongside of us and he helps us and he conforms us more into the image of his Son. I hope that this was a great reminder to you and some great encouragement to you. Knowing that what God did for us, He didn't have to. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, let's think about our lives. People who have done us wrong in our lives. It's very, very hard for us to forgive them. Let alone hard for us to even do something for them. But God still sent His Son Christ to be our substitute. And those who have faith in him will be saved and will be reconciled back to God. That is the, that is the wonder about creation and redemption itself. That, you know, God didn't need any of this. God didn't need us for us to glorify him. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need for us to praise his name and glorify him, yet he still did all those things for the honor and glory of his own name. And then what does he do? In the fullness of time, he sends his Holy Spirit to come alongside of us to help us, to redeem us, to, to redeem us in the sense of conform us more to his son. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful time. I pray that, that as basic as that was, Lord, that it was that was encouragement for, for your people. I know it was encouragement for me, Lord, and I thank you for this wonderful time. I pray for the food that we will eat shortly, Lord. 
And I pray for the fellowship that we will have. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Um,